Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead. We are uh, sans uh, Keith Myers for this show, but we've got some special guests, Dan Viennes and Dana O'Gorman of the Field Goals Podcast. They've also got other gigs going, but I'm going to let them tell you what they're up to and congratulate them on the new gig with Field Goals. That's a great opportunity. Perfectly cast, I think, with these two to be able to take that show into the future. Uh, welcome in. Thanks. Always good to be with you. Uh, how are things in the desert? Things are uh, dry, mostly, and uh, I, I need to put moisturizer on my skin now that I've moved from the northwest into the desert. It's like uh, it's always dry, but it's it's nice waking up every day, I think, to blue sky. You kind of take take it for granted a little bit. I lived in the Pacific Northwest my entire life until a, a few years ago, and it, that low cloud cover thing, um, you just don't realize how oppressive that gets after a while then you move away from it and it's like wow it's it's kind of crazy but i do miss the northwest i miss the fluctuation and weather changes and all that stuff but yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's fun here dana how are you doing i'm doing great i'm insanely busy this last oh my gosh like even just yesterday i volunteered for uh, the u.s women's national team here in kansas city at their game yesterday and then i went to a concert last night it's like it never ends and it's like podcast today to tomorrow this it's just the season is rolling. Someone posted on Twitter. It's like, it's, oh, it was Trey Wingo. It's the last Sunday before never having, fo- you know, having football until February. I'm like, that makes me excited and real tired at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I know it's just scheduling this. I was like, okay, I got to fit this in, but when I do know. I do it? And we all, you know, combined, we're doing like 12 shows a week. It's crazy. Yeah. It's good though, right? It's, it's fun. But yeah, it's a little overwhelming when you first think about it. But you know what? If this is, I feel lucky, you know, on the Our Trip Football podcast, we talk about all 32 teams. So I love having a, a space where I can completely focus on the Seattle. So that's super fun for me. Yeah. So, Dan, tell me about this, uh, the Field Goals show and what you guys are trying to uh, to accomplish there. Yeah. I mean, Field Goals is a is a site that I've had a tremendous amount of respect for for a very long time. And and as I talked about on our first show, even um, was instrumental in in helping me build my Seahawks Twitter following initially Danny when Danny Kelly was with the site he picked up on some things I was live tweeting one day as the Seahawks were on their way to the airport to go to the Super Bowl and uh and it just tied me into a lot of that community and so when I really started initially to see the power of Twitter and and connecting with that fan base and and have just read their their material for years and followed their writers and watched many of them go on to do other things and and Brandon Schultz has hosted that show their field goals podcast uh for years and I've been on his show and he's been on mine and and really gotten to know him and an opportunity came up where he was he wanted to devote his attention to the Seahawkers podcast because they're going to do that five days a week and uh and he was just you know stretching himself a little too thin and he reached out to me and Dana and asked if we'd be interested in taking over the mic and um I hadn't really been doing my show in earnest in in a while and uh was kind of looking for uh something fresh and something new and Dana said the chance to just 
focus in on nothing but Seahawks football and everything it entails. Um, and to do so for such a recognized brand and, and, and uh, those guys over at Field Goals to, to join that team and, and to work with Dana was an opportunity I couldn't say no to. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I mean, it's a, it's a great platform. It's a good opportunity for you guys to be able to get out there. And um, again, you guys are the best at, at it in this business uh, in, uh, for the oh, Seahawks. You know, for the Seahawks, for sure. And um, it's just, it's great to have have your voices out there. And you right guys have been up. great friends of the show and want to give you guys an opportunity to come on and, and kind of share that with everyone, at least uh, folks in our audience as well, because I know we don't have a monopoly uh, on on all things Seahawks, so it's nice to spread the love, for sure. Well, and, um, and the plan is uh, we'll do at least three shows a week between the two of us. Uh, I'll be primarily tasked with doing game reviews on Mondays or Tuesdays if they play Monday, like they do right out of the shoot. And then uh, later in the week, previewing the, the following game. And when our schedule allows, Dana will hop on and join me on those, uh, particularly the preview one. It sounds like our schedules match up. And then she's going to take a show in midweek uh, and steer the ship on that. So that'll be at least three shows. And then, of course, if there's ever breaking news or big trades or injuries anything that needs to be reacted to you know you know how that is we can hop on and react to that anytime yeah that's great so you know what i want to do on this show is uh enough time i think has has elapsed uh with the off season uh when you take a look at the entire off season uh from the moves we made on the defensive side of the of the coaching staff uh we let ken norton jr go we brought in clint hurt who was the defensive line coach as the new DC, a couple of fresh faces on the back end of that defense. Then we moved through uh, the trade with Russell Wilson and all that entailed the new acquisition of talent in free agency and the draft. And then we went through training camp and preseason games and a quarterback competition. Um, and I just wanted to kind of see if maybe Denny, you could start by just kind of wrapping your brain around what we've seen if you agree or like the trajectory of where we're going as a franchise now, and how do you kind of see that play out in this next year or two? Um, well, it's a, that's a big scope, but let, let me take it just a little bit at a time. So right out the gate, I think we were all ready. I don't know that Ken Norton um, wasn't a great coach or wasn't a beloved coach. He was obviously beloved by the players, but I think this whole off season just, screamed change they needed to do something different this team could not keep being stuck in the middle of everything without being able to jump up any higher beyond the first game round of the playoffs um it, or just being stuck right under it it was a lot of the same for a lot of years and i really feel like a good chunk of the fan base was ready for something different. So Ken Norton was that first act to fall. A lot of people were really happy about it. They just wanted to kind of see something a little different out of the defense. But then the Russell Wilson trade came in, and I think a good majority of us, too, were not surprised by that, especially after last offseason. I think that we knew that it was coming, um, that there was probably a good chance that um, that would happen. I personally didn't think it would happen for another full season. I thought there'd be one more year when he had one year left on that contract, if that's when he would go. Um, but I was not upset by that. I, I know that not everyone wants to hear that, but I was okay with that. And it has nothing to do with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was a great quarterback. He was great for the franchise. And I think as cheesy as he is, I really like him as a person. I think that he's really, you know, got a good heart. 
it was time for him to be done in Seattle. And I think that that was a brave and bold choice by this team. Um, and I know a lot of people don't agree with me. I just, I know that already. Um, but then when you get past that, you look at the compensation they got, which I think was fantastic. And even it's looking even better as these top couple um, picks went through the off or the preseason. I'm obsessed with Cross and Abe Lucas. I just think that they are fantastic. Um, so that right there gives me a lot of excitement going forward. This season alone is not going to be magnificent, people. This is not what this is about. And I keep saying this. People are really sick of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again. 22 is all about 23. This season is all about next year and getting those pieces set and settled so that then they can go find their rookie quarterback. Now, are rookie quarterbacks ever a guarantee? No, we see that every single year. But I think there's just a better chance of this team fully rebuilding, because that is, in my opinion, what is going on, rebuilding and being able to go forward under a rookie quarterback contract. So I just think that that is um, that's exciting for me. I haven't I haven't had a lot of excitement around this team in probably three to five years. Right. I feel like it was a lot of the same. So I'm excited to see what is new. I'm excited about the new coaching changes. I really like what I've seen from Coach Hurt already. He is old school, tough defense, and I love that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I, have a, I have a pretty rosy outlook. I just know it's going to take a couple of years. Yeah, Dana, you made some great points, especially mm-hmm. as it related to Russell Wilson and moving on and uh, the difficulty that that uh, brings um, and the decision-making that went into that. Uh, it's very complex, um, and a lot of fans kind of want to look at that and, and lay some blame there and, and so forth and so on. I don't know if that's the right way to look at it. I think it's done. Let's go forward now. Um, and, and as time goes on and you see the complexities and the layers of contracts and so forth that you know Russell Wilson just signed, uh, you look at the compensation that we could get for him at the pinnacle of his um, career and so forth, and, and it does make a lot of sense. Dan, what is your, uh, I know that we're all in kind of the same boat when it comes to the feelings of the franchise, the moves that they've made in the offseason, the direction and so forth. But what do you see as standing out as something that uh, you're really excited about moving forward? Uh, that A, I love a good rebuild. And B, I think secretly, uh, maybe not so secretly, because sometimes uh, you can parse his words. I think Pete Carroll does too. And and. We talked on our show the other day about how he may be at his best in building. And in the last few years, we all agreed. It just it felt like we were just hanging on to something that didn't feel um, it certainly didn't feel like a legitimate contender every year. But you could talk yourself into it after they made a couple of patchwork moves each offseason. And that's really all they could do. Um, lack of draft capital, some of the trades they made, Jamal Adams, things like that. It was like De- was definitely win now. They were trying to find that lightning in a bottle each year and just patch things together around Russell Wilson. And then what happened the previous offseason, you knew that was a deteriorating relationship. And so it just it felt like, you know, the time was going to come eventually. And after what happened last year happened, you win seven games. Russell's hurt. Things start to kind of fray around the edges. It just felt like a fresh start was needed for both sides. And now we know now that there's some time and it's happened and we can see. Russell signing the new deal in Denver that he can try to deny that it was his idea that he wanted out. It's clear now. 
And I think it's clear that the organization was ready for a fresh start and that they would have been open to keeping him if the circumstances were just right. But under the circumstances as they were, it was time to move on. And I'll say this, to use a baseball analogy, I feel like what they've accomplished this offseason is when you look at what the Mariners did in 2018, when they decided to rebuild, they did it at exactly the right time and they maximized the assets they had on the roster at that time to jumpstart that rebuild and bring in some young players. I think to this point so far, I believe the Seahawks have masterfully done the same thing. Leverage Russell Wilson for as much as they could get, although I just read recently and I'd never heard this in a piece that Mike Salk did here in Seattle a couple of days ago that apparently Philadelphia had a better offer that uh, Russ just wouldn't uh, waive his no, no trade clause to make happen. Um, that would have been interesting because you have to assume it would involve Jalen Hurts. Yeah, But I, I feel like the moves they've made since they traded him and how they've used that capital and how they approached the draft and how they approached the offseason and added young talent to this roster I, I, has been masterful. I think they've nailed every, every stroke. Doesn't mean it's going to work. Doesn't mean they uh, are going to be in any better shape two years from now than they are now. It all, as Dana says, there's another year and another draft and one that includes the quarterback that needs to happen and they need to nail that. But um, in some ways, I'm looking forward to this season as much as I have in, in maybe the last three, four years because I want to see what a young, dynamic roster can do on both sides of the ball and watch them grow. It reminds me very much, and I'm not the first one to make this point, it reminds me of 2011. And instead of Tavares Jackson, it's Geno Smith, and they built that young roster up and got it to a point that it was a healthy situation to then put a young quarterback in and move from there. So I think that's where they're at, and I can't wait to see what it looks like on the field. Now a word from our new sponsor, Raycon. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of the Foo Fighters, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. Raycons price just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. When I'm using my Raycons, I have three customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, noise isolation. Whether I'm in the studio or listening to my favorite band, my Raycons are great. Go to buyraycon.com slash TPPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TPPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash TPPN. There's, uh, there's a particular strategy I wanted to bounce off of you guys uh, with regards to the draft. They doubled up on, on different positions, as you guys know. Uh, but specifically, you know, Andy Dickerson took over for Mike Solari at that offensive line. We drafted Charles Cross. We doubled up and went and got Abe Lucas later on. And then we did the same thing with the cornerback uh, room. We got uh, Colby um, Bryant and then Tariq Woolen. Um, and and we thought Tariq Woolen was going to be a little bit more of a project. At least that's what we were all told. And we assumed coming from a smaller college and the lack of experience playing and so forth turns out he's kind of ready made ready to go out of the gate which is so yeah. exciting but talk about those four players and the impact specifically i think on the offensive line i want to uh, ask you dana mm -hmm. what do you think the impact is long term there uh, with the offensive line with 
having two starters out of the same draft at tackle uh, for an NFL team. It just seems crazy to me. Well, think about you could have 10 year careers easily out of both of these guys. Right. And and if they are playing this well straight out the gate, we know what a jump year two and year three is for the line. I mean, that could be insane. And and that I, I, I think back to like the remember for years we were like, oh, the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. It was the best offensive line in 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 football. And it was fantastic. I get this feel. And and that that that's kind of where they're headed. That could just I mean, it's been three preseason games. We get you it. Know, right? We Keith, know. Keith said the same exact yeah. thing Did on our know. last show. Yeah. Yeah. It it just feels like whereas in 2011, they focused so much on the defense and they were working so much on that. And they worked on the line too. We have to remember that that line. Oh my gosh, all those names so long ago. But um, I think that this year they they really focused on the line. The funny thing is that if you look outside of what I call the logical Seahawks fan base into the media, national media, they're like, well, why didn't they ever do that for Russell Wilson? All Russell Wilson ever wanted was an offensive line. They, they did to as much as they could. We have to remember that this level of players weren't available necessarily at the bottom of the first round where Seattle sat so many times or in the second round because they had either traded back or they just didn't have a pick in the first round. And so this was really their first opportunity to jump on those elite level offensive line players. I think it could be just, it could be game changing, especially if you're bringing in a rookie next year, because think about it. Like I mentioned that jump from one year one to year two, though, you know, Cross and Lucas will be in year two. They make a huge jump and you bring in a rookie. That's going to be so helpful to that guy, to whoever it is, ends up in Seattle as a quarterback sure. um, and, and let him learn at a pace. I think it's going to be fantastic. It, the cornerbacks, I love because I love defense, but I love because they were like, well, they both look pretty good. Let's see which one pops. And I love that. I think that they can't hurt, right? If they both look great, look at the depth you have. And so um, I loved this draft. I loved the way they put it together. It's even more exciting to me for next year for the draft they get there, plus now the cap space that they will have. Yeah. You have to remember after Russell Wilson's first year, that second year, they brought in Michael Bennett and Cliff April. They went and found two fantastic um, vets. This and at, at the, the time, their contracts it. were like five million dollars. Oh my god, a, a it year, was ridiculous! Right? And they so signed ridiculous. them on like the same day, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And so that makes me excited, thinking they're going to have two high-level drafts. And high level, I mean by number, up high in those good players, and then have all that money now to be able to go look at some of these bets. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I feel like in, in you know you talk about doubling up at those positions. They've they've tried that in the past. There was a year they drafted three safeties, and and um and and but it, it it's always felt like they've been playing catch up the last four or five years, like the pass rusher thing. You know, ever since they traded for J uh, Jadavian Clowney, it just feels like they've been. They'll, they might get that one guy that they think is going to make a difference, Carlos Dunlap, but they haven't been able to stack up two, three, four guys to really build a dynamic pass rush. Same with the offensive line. They go out and get Dwayne Brown, and then it just felt like they were always playing catch-up. They were trying. They never really, A, devoted enough resources to, to those positions, and B, they just didn't pick the right players because there was a three-year period there where offensive line, you know, as much as people would accuse the Seahawks of not paying enough attention to it, where they spent more draft capital on the offensive line than any team in football. They just didn't pick the right players. 
And by all accounts, as Dana said, they've just nailed Charles Cross can clearly play. From day one, he looked like a starting left tackle in the NFL. He's going to struggle. He had the second preseason game against the Bears where he had a lot of procedure penalties, but he never looked overmatched. And granted, you're not facing TJ Watt. Those guys aren't playing. But I don't think anyone who watched Charles Cross play this this preseason, including guys that that know a lot more about offensive line play than I do, um, have no questions that he can hold his own. And Abe Lucas was out there just burying guys into the turf. And all the questions both of them had about run blocking because they came from pass-centric offenses in college, those don't look like concerns now at all for either of them. And so I, lo- I love the the look of Abe Lucas uh, because he took that job. Like Cross, we knew he was yep. kind of handed the job. Come, you know, somebody needed to come and take it from him. Abe Lucas needed to beat out Curhan for that spot and yep. took it and took it relatively quickly so that he had a good three weeks of camp as the, as the number one guy taking all those reps. And Curhan I thought that was, was a great well. Move. It wasn't like he lost yeah. the job. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Conversely, uh, it seems like we're building a, a pretty solid roster all around. But tell me, uh, Dan, what is the one spot on this roster that you're most concerned about heading into the 2022 season? I'm not even going to talk quarterback because I think that's the obvious. It's not even an elephant in the room. I mean, that's the obvious one, right? Um, so I, but I'm not concerned about the quarterback position because the the quarterback that's going to lead this team to their next phase of winning is not on the roster currently. Um, I, what do you, I was, l- let me pause you there. What yeah. do you say to the fans out there that are um, not ex- not making excuses? I want to say that. I don't want to lay that out there, but saying that we need to give these guys a chance. We're, we're too hard on them currently. Um, you know, the roster is good and solid around them. Um, maybe they'll have a career year and we can equal eke out nine, 10 wins, maybe squeak into that seventh uh, wildcard spot. I, I think they're just having a hard time letting go of winning mm-hmm. expectations mm-hmm. And, and facing reality. And they want to believe that there's a way that one of these guys can, can have a career year and be Steve Berline, who at 30, whatever years old went out and almost won an MVP. And yeah. um, it's just because they don't want to, they don't want to admit to themselves that this season's a lost season. You know, they've bought their jerseys, they've paid for their tickets, they've made their plans, they've asked for days off, and they want that to count towards something. Um, but I think what I would tell those people is, is just look at what's actually happening. Pete Carroll can say all he wants, that he believes these guys can help them win today. And we talked on our show last week, we all believe that this roster can be competitive. And that you can make an argument that if they had gone out and been more aggressive and got a veteran quarterback who had a higher ceiling than these two guys, that they could potentially win more games this offseason. They could have had Matt Ryan or they could have had Baker Mayfield for peanuts, right? Those guys ended up costing nothing in draft capital and having their salaries offset, and they could have had one of those guys. And so Pete Carroll can say they want to win, but their, their actions say something else. There's definitely a plan. And John Schneider was pressed on this the other day, and he didn't even have a good sly answer for it. He basically just deflected the heck out of it and said, I'll talk to you guys at the combine. Like he indicated on his way out of his press conference, and, and I'm sure it was tongue-in-cheek, and that, you know, you're not going to hear from me this year because he's buried in the film room. I mean, that those so those fans just, they'll see. They'll see it when they when it happens on the field in front of them. I have to say I disagree a smidge and 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 not that I have like this rosy view of these quarterbacks in any way shape or form 
What, what I do think is going to happen, and this is just a gut feeling, is that a lot of these games, looking at our schedule, looking at the Seattle schedule, a lot of these games are going to come down to small little plays here and there, and they're going to be very close games. If Seattle can manage to tip that scale just a little bit, I think they're going to end up winning more games than people expect. Now, what is it, the expectation? I mean, that's individual, right? Like, I really, truly believe they'll win about five to seven games this year. That's just kind of my gut feeling. But in some of those games, you think about the Lions, you think about the Giants, think about the Jets, you think about some of these teams on this schedule. If the run game of Seattle can really take off, it could just slightly tip some of those games mm -hmm. into Seattle's favor. I don't really think it has much to do with quarterback play, although we've seen Geno make a couple of great plays. I think he has these spark moments in him. I just don't think necessarily he can do that for 17 games every single game. Do you know what I mean? But I think he has these moments. And so I think that he will be just fine, as, for lack of a better word, as a quarterback. He'll be fine. But I just really feel that some of these tight games, if Seattle plays their run game, I think the way that they are going to want to, that could tip the scales. That is going to irritate the crap out of me. I'm not going to lie, because I want them to not have to spend a bunch of draft capital to go up and get a good quarterback. But I do think I can see where people might look at this and say it's possible. And now a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for Week 1, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on an NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Oh, I can see. It. I don't think you have to mm -hmm. squint very hard, uh, right. you know, because of the way they built the roster and because of the the way they intend to play football. And and I do think there's a there's a discussion to be had too about we're we're going to see this Shane Waldron led Rams centric offense run the way it's intended to be run because what they wanted to do did not fit Russell's skill set or the way he wants to play football not and there was there was a real conflict there and mm -hmm. and he was willing to give it a chance in fact he was involved in the selection of the offensive coordinator it just wasn't a match that offense to thrive we've seen the rams do it and it'll be interesting this year to see it happen in minnesota and other places where those coaches have gone on to do things um it you have to operate in the middle of the field it's all about those in breaking routes and and slot play and tight end play and that just wasn't russell's preference or his strength um and so you can make an argument that one of these guys playing efficiently can get more out of the offense as it's intended to be run and as Seahawk fans the last couple of years, even people that love Russell Wilson would admit to you, right, in a moment of humility that, yeah, 
that was frustrating when he we'd see the we'd see the check down route there was an easy five yards on third and five and he'd he'd try to hit the home run so i i i do agree with you on that point dana i'm not saying this team's going to win two games i think you said five to seven i think it's going to be seven to eight they're going to find a way to win more games and i know at the end of the year i'm going to be doing just the same thing as you i'm going to be going gosh dang like that was fun it was more fun than i expected but now we can't get Will Levis, or now we can't get Bryce Young. Unfortunately, there's a lot of guys to choose from this year. But if yeah, if we if we win too many games, like you said, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pay the piper to move up. I think I agree with both of you on both uh, valid points. You talked about the uh, the the efficiency of Shane Waldron's offense and having a quarterback operate within that efficiency. I think that's a, a solid point, uh, Dana. You had mentioned. Um, being in close games and um, having some of the other position groups being important, especially the defense and the running game. Uh, if the defense, uh, you know, plays better than expected, um, which I do expect, um, and then the offense, uh, the running game comes into play, uh, you're only asking your quarterback to be um, kind of that point guard that Pete Carroll uh, really likes. And you could see the team maybe uh, win up to seven to nine games, I think. Um, my issue is primarily does rest in the, in the quarterback spot because at the end of games, at the end of close games, as you very well know, uh, Russell Wilson has come in and uh, been the difference maker in a lot of those games in uh, for the Seahawks in the last five to seven years. And um, we've won games. Uh, you could say that, that, that Russell Wilson had a, a floor of nine wins in this, in this, with yeah. the exception of last year, but he got hurt. Um, with this team. And I'm not sure you can say that with either one of these quarterbacks, that they're going to be able to go out and win games for you at the, uh, you know, it's uh, we're down three points. You want to uh, get a touchdown. You've got two minutes to go. You're going to put the ball in Gino's hands. Are you going to depend or count on Gino to make the plays in order for your team to consistently go out and, and get games for you? I don't know that I can say yes. And so I do think that that then lowers my, um, my ceiling on this team. Yeah. down to probably seven wins um after watching the the preseason i was i was very optimistic i was kind of the holdout when when keith and i would would record and keith was pretty down on these quarterbacks and i was kind of trying to lift these uh, these things up point out the, the same points that you guys uh had just made and um to try to find a way for this team to kind of avoid what you talked about dana is going out and having to draft a quarterback early next year and maybe have that draft capital to continue to add to the solid roster around the quarterback position would be ideal. But I just don't know that that's in the cards. Mm -hmm. I just, it's hard for me to kind of get over that, um, that thing where can Gino or Drew go get games for you? And I'm just not sure that, that mm -hmm. they can. And Gino had two shots at that last year. The Saints game is one that stands out. And was it the Rams also where he had a chance for a game-winning drive at the end? Mm -hmm. Had the ball in his hands and all we needed was one drive and he failed both times. And, yeah. and you know, yeah, that that I think you make a great point. The difference between potentially – now if he, Well, we're, we're going to be in uh, competitive games. It's going to be competitive. Absolutely. And we're going to be in a lot of one-run games. Uh, and so losing one-run games or, or, or one-score games, I should say, yeah. is, mm -hmm. um, is going to be very frustrating – but at the same time, doesn't let you lose hope on the rest of the roster. Right. So I think as long as Pete Carroll keeps the roster 
the veteran players hold together uh, even if we lose more games, maybe we we only win four or five games. I think that's going to put us in position to take care of business next year and next year's draft, yeah. um, while still having a roster that you can point to the future on. Mm-hmm, without question, the only if I had a concern to back to your original question, um, I still think that I would like to see them do something with linebacker. I still think that they need to add something to the linebacker. I just don't have a lot of confidence there. I I could be very much wrong. And in this new defensive system, maybe it will work great. I'm not sure. I think that there is some, some talent there. Um, I, I call it the Bobby Wagner hangover. Like I'm just a little worried that we don't have that presence there. Um, but it's a new scheme. And so I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see. Um, I just, I just feel like Seattle has a couple more moves up their sleeve. Um, here probably in the first probably three weeks of the season after those uh, guaranteed vet contracts go away. And I'm really hoping that one of them is a linebacker position. Yeah, I was shocked that during the whole uh, waiver wire dance and cutting down to 53 and picking up veterans and and being 10th in the waiver process and having a shot at some guys and that they didn't address linebacker at all, especially inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think I think we all agree mm-hmm. there's some guys can play on the outside and those guys are easier to find. Some of the young guys they brought back to the practice squad, like Vi Jones, I think we really like. He's more of an outside guy. It's if Cody Barton or Jordan Brooks goes down, Nick Ballore is playing linebacker for you, and he's a fullback. Like, there has to be a move there. I, I mean, I my eyebrows went way up when Blake Martinez became a free agent the other day, and, and I don't know that he'd be ready or a guy like that to accept a position this early in the season where he knows he's not going to be a day one starter. But man the idea of both those guys playing 16 games is in in 17 games excuse me in modern day nfl is is pretty unrealistic so you have to think something is is coming there um or at the very least that their eyes are open and they're looking for maybe some other veteran cuts i don't know because that that really concerns me we didn't see jordan brooks in the preseason and and he was nicked up a little bit some of that was just preservation but what if um yeah well i've I've got it i've got an idea for us well two things uh, when Roquan Smith asked for a trade earlier in the offseason, I was like, oh, we could go for Roquan Smith, and I that would be amazing. I mean, we'd be investing in the wrong position group, I think, you know, as far as being uh, two yeah. premier pro, all pro type players, that might get pretty expensive. But man, can you imagine Jordan Brooks and Smith being paired together in the middle of that defense? Woo! But here's my idea on, on uh, Brooks and Barton that uh, I think that the team might be leaning towards as far as at least initially or, or this year, is to have uh, Nuasu slide over and play a little bit of, of uh, middle linebacker if something should happen to Barton or Brooks um, because they're not going to ask Bloor to do that. They do trust Bloor, but he's not a playmaker. He's he's yeah. not. And so I think Nuasu would slide over. You'd, you'd then slide uh, Alton Robinson you know, more uh, into a larger rotation-type role. That would be my initial fix. Now, that isn't a long-term fix. But I think the team maybe is kind of looking at it that way. And then you've got guys like By Jones, Tanner Muse, and, and Donker, and they, uh, the other kid, uh, Onu Juwagu, I think is how you pronounce yeah. it. I'll, I'll um, yeah, he's you know he's a he's a big kid as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they solve that problem. I agree with you. There's no long term fix currently on the roster, and it seems like that would be something to solve next year. But it is a concern this year. So how about? wide receiver i want to talk to you a little bit about wide receiver only because it looked going into 
training camp that we were stacked. Freddie Swain was going to come back. He was going to elevate his game from last year. Had a pretty decent showing last year as kind of that fourth, third, fourth wide receiver. Uh, if he elevated his game a little bit, added some uh, looks and receptions, uh, some touchdowns there. Uh, and then Eskridge came along and uh, they could have four legit wide receivers. Now they're depending on a guy in Goodwin to come in and start in the in the third wide receiver role that didn't play a lick of any preseason ball. He kind of got that position by default. Penny Hart's back. Uh, Derek Young, who looks promising, but is still just a rookie. And um, I'm just a little concerned about that. I wanted to get your feedback, Dana. Um. I really would have liked for them to add another wide receiver. I'm not going to lie. I think that it would have been good. At the same time, um, after watching Young play, I was pretty impressed. And I wanted to really have them give him lots of time. And they did seem to in the in the preseason. I'm beginning to think they really like what they see out of him. I have absolutely no faith in D. Eskridge, and it's not his fault. This is not a slam against him personally. It's the fact that we cannot get him on the field. And I've seen a lot of people say, oh, he wants to feel 100% before he comes back and you never feel 100% in football. If that's true, that is going to be a huge problem. It's going to continue to be a problem. If it's not true, then we need to leave the pork alone. But I'm interested in my, my theory, again, going back to our last question is how dependent are they going to be on this run game that they don't feel like they need this huge depth and wide receiver because let's be honest, DK seems very durable. He's not had really any injury issues. Tyler has had off and on, but he had, you know, he looks good now. And so I'm wondering if they think they can kind of piecemeal the rest of that together this year, which is heartbreaking because we saw how many great wide receivers were in the draft this year, but that just wasn't their area of focus, which I'm grateful for the, the people that they got. But I'm, I get a feeling that sometimes that that somehow this balance goes along with that run game that they did bulk up on and are expecting to get some some a lot of field time out of them that maybe it'll be a little easier on the wide receivers. But I would not be heartbroken if they brought ended up bringing someone else in. Talk to me a little bit, uh, Dan, about your feelings on the, the tight end group and our continued expectation and promise of utilizing this group more. And then they went through the entire preseason and really didn't show up, at least on the stat sheet. Now, some of that can be attributed to not um, having good third down completion percentage and, and so forth. But uh, talk to me about your feelings on that. And then come circle back around on Dana's idea of having a really solid running back room when we've got players like Rashad Penny, who's been consistently injured over his, his career. And then Ken Walker might not be ready to start the, the regular season. I was going to go to the tight end room next. I mean, that's where I was going to transition with the wide receiver idea because I, I do think that, uh, you know, how we're going to judge that wide receiver group, first of all, falls largely on Eskridge's shoulders. If, if he shows he can make plays and stay healthy and justify that draft spot, taking him in the second round last year ahead of other position groups that we needed and good players that were taken after him, Creed Humphrey. Um, it's it, that's that's what we're going to judge that group on, right? Top two spots are set in stone, but it's a fun group, you know. It's it's I like that they kept young, gives them a bigger target. Um, it'd be fun to watch him develop potentially, and uh, and you know I think there's some some stuff going on on the practice squad. I think they still want to see if our Sega Whiteside could become a possession receiver, a guy that can help them in the red zone. Um, but 
in this offense, again, the way Shane Waldron wants to play it, there's going to be a lot of two tight end sets. You're going to see three tight ends on the field. I think they're going to use Colby Parkinson as a big slot. Sometimes in that role that they use Cooper Cup in with the Rams, we saw little flashes of that in the preseason that I think you can almost count him as one of the wide receiver group. And so you, it's such a varied group, and it's such a, again, I'll use the word fun, where you've got Will Disley, who's the 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 workhorse, and the guy that, you know, coming out in the draft the year that they took him was the best blocking tight end in that draft. We've seen that he can be really effective as an extra offensive lineman, um, but can also help in the pass game. Noah Fant is kind of the antithesis of, of Will Disley. He's he's the athletic freak and the guy that can stretch the field and run the seam route um, and and get in, you know, fun one-on-one matchups with with slot corners and things like that. And then Colby Parkinson rolls in there with his long hair and his six foot seven and his long arms and, you know, didn't drop a single ball at Stanford and, um, you know, presents that really enticing red zone target. Uh, That's a tough group to cover. Uh, And then you add DK and Tyler and what some of the other guys might be able to help with. I I think you have to take those two groups into account together because Noah Fant is another guy. We're going to see him split out wide sometimes. At least we did in Denver. Um, well, so, talk to me a little bit about the way that Shane Walden wants to operate the offense and these two quarterbacks operating within the offense as opposed to, you know, things were kind of ad hoc in these last, well, at least last year with, um, with I think Wilson. we're going to see, I think we're going to see things built in the offense to make it easier on the quarterback. And, and there were times and whether that this was Russell's choices or it was by design and play call what we tended to see when Russell was here was not a lot of hot routes, a lot more deep vertical routes. He wanted to take shots. And I think they're going to build little safety nets into this offense to try to make it easier on Gino or, and, or drew if he ever gets a shot. So you're going to see a lot of use of the tight end. I think in some of those big targets and some creativity with those guys and, and using a lot of motion and using backs out of the backfield and, and, and all of that. I, I, it's going to be fun to watch. I remember last year when we watched the opener against the Colts and we kind of saw that offense in all its glory. I mean, they used all parts of the field. It looked varied. It looked dynamic. We were all excited about it. And then starting week two and over the course of the rest of the season, it was like they pared the playbook down week by week. We just kind of saw the same things every week. Um, last two weeks of the season when Russell was fully healthy and that finger was feeling better, I kind of thought we had turned a corner and it seemed like Russell was willing to use more of the field and maybe we were starting to see how that offense was intended to be run. Now we'll never know if that would have continued into, into this season. So it's to me, it's it, the, story it helps. the year. It's, it's, I want to see how that offense operates. It helps when Penny's tearing off, you know, 20 yard chunks in the last couple of games too. <laughs> I think you're, count, you're counting on that. And well, they're counting on that, but not necessarily from Penny. You know, they, 100% took Kenneth Walker as high as they did in the draft, not just for two, three years from now, but to hedge in case Penny doesn't have a healthy season. And But it's funny to me, although I understand it, how people seem to be sleeping on Rashad Penny. And maybe it was because he was nicked up a little bit early in camp, and so there's a little bit of that, oh, here we go again, right? It's hard not to, let's dumb. be honest. He was dominant those last five, six weeks. He was the best running back in football by all accounts, by all metrics, even better than Jonathan Taylor over those five weeks. That wasn't wasn't a fluke. And it was happening against some good defensive fronts. If that dude can stay healthy, 
uh, he's going to make himself some money this season. Danny, did you want to add anything since you've kind of been hyping I, this? Group I just up agree. A bit? Well, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I don't mean to hype it up. I just feel like between Penny Walker, DJ, and Travis Homer, and the way Travis Homer looked in preseason, granted it was against second and third stringers. We get that. But I think there's going to be so much movement within there. I, I listed, we did a prediction show um, over at Real Hawk Talk, and I have Kenneth Walker being the third highest receiver on our team because I really feel like that's how they're that. going to use some of these running backs that way. And so it's not just going to be, you know, pound the ground for the, the running backs. I think we're going to see some diversity there. And it it's because... And I don't want anyone to think I'm slamming Russell. It's I'm not slamming Russell. When you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you you tend to cater to what he wants and needs. It's logical. It's good business. They don't have to do that now. And so I think that we're going to get to see some variety in the plays for the tight ends, for the wide receivers, but in that running And just too, quite I frankly, more different. more check downs. We just are. It's yeah. just the way it is. It's going to yeah. be I'll, so I'll slam cool. Russell. I'll take a oh, moment to slam Russell. And and it's not this is not a slam. But as you as you're as you're explaining that, I'm thinking that from what we saw in the preseason, we did see a lot of routes to the running back. We saw some design screens to the running backs. And I thought, from what I saw with my own eyes, that both Gino and Drew threw that ball better than Russell Wilson does. It was not his strength. Throwing to the backs and throwing screens into the foot were just for whatever reason. You'd think it would be, because it wouldn't involve his height and you know there's some you know some thought that that's why he doesn't use the middle of the field more or whatever it's it just wasn't his favorite thrower it wasn't something he was very good at um and so we didn't ever get the most out of that running back group i don't think in the past and, and i think to your point bill i i do think that there's an opportunity for one of these guys um to be effective in this offense if they can just take what is there because i think on every given play there's going to be an opportunity to make positive yards and if the big play isn't there they're going to have options in the in the backfield or See, that's why i there's that's why i think this play. defense is so important this year if if the team Absolutely. is going to win right if you're going to be in those close games and you're going to take games it's because the defense gave you opportunities gave you more mm -hmm. chances if you can convert third downs with the efficiency that you're talking about, Dan, then that defense is going to be off the field longer. They're going to have, um, you know, better health. They're going to be less winded at the end of games. They could go uh, generate turnovers, which is something that I'd, I'd like to talk about for a minute. We haven't mm -hmm. talked a lot about the defense, but how the defense all works together, the pass rush. We haven't talked about the pass rush, how those uh, athletic linebackers and safeties are really key to this defense. And then that back end uh, with the ball hawking guys, Kobe Bryant seems like he's a guy that's just around, going to be around the ball. Tariq Woolen with his length. And we already know that Diggs is going to be there. Now he's got some help with Josh Jones. And so Diggs, I think, can be a little bit more effective. If that defense comes together, I think that it has an opportunity to be top 10 if the offense can sustain drives. If yeah. the offense sustained drives, the defense, I think, can be very good. If they can't, if they're constantly turning the ball over or going three and out, um, it's going to be a long season. It just is. Yeah, and I can't wait to see what that defense looks like because we never saw those 11 players on the field at the same time in the preseason. 
We know we didn't see That's the playbook so being open, wide open. I think the reason we haven't talked about the pass rush is for the first time in five years, I don't have any concerns about it because they've they've built layers of depth now and and some real dynamic athletes on the edge and added some guys in the middle, like a Shelby Harris that can that can penetrate from the inside as well. And I think uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm glad you mentioned Josh Jones. I was just reading um, this week that they're so high on him that there's there's a chance we see him early and often in the season in kind of that big nickel package where they have three safeties on the field, which which um, which really uh, frees up Jamal Adams to kind of do what he did his first year with us and what he did with the Jets, and that's move around be that hybrid, get back to coming off the edge a little more often, not have to be relied on on the back end as much. I think the things that we're hearing about from players themselves about how you're never going to know where we're coming from. You're never going to, we're not going to like give anything away. We didn't disguise, we haven't disguised anything for five years. And Pete Carroll has worn that like a badge of honor. (laughs) It's true. This is what we play. We're just going to play it well. And I think it speaks to what you started this show talking about, and that is change, right? I think we've we've seen Pete Carroll more than any time since the Super Bowl, I think, be willing to be open to change. He said at a press conference early this offseason that, like, look, we got we got a little too, what was the word to use? It, it wasn't conceited, cocky, it was arrogant. I think it was arrogant. He said, we got too arrogant about what we were doing and the things we were running. And it was time to look in the mirror and and ask ourselves if we needed to change. It sounds very much like what he did back when he was fired in New England, took a year off, had to reevaluate what he was doing as a coach. If you've read his book, you know, he talks at length about, I had to change. I think we're seeing that this offseason, and we're going to see it in the defense more than anything else. And, uh, man, I think there's the talent is there, I think, to build that thing up again. I'm not going to say to the level it was 10 years ago because we're talking about Hall of Famers on that group. But I, you, you say top 10, I think that's the floor of what I see this group being capable of if, if, if it works. Wow. Dana, why don't you, um, why don't you share your thoughts on the, on the overall defense to kind of get us out of this, uh, this conversation in the show, as far as how you see it all coming together. It seems to me like it isn't really about just one unit, one position group here. It's about the the whole Mm -hmm. and having it all work together. And I've, seen and heard clint hurt talk about that mm-hmm. and and sean desai both really kind of understanding uh and 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 having their players understand how each affects the other i yeah the, the what's fascinating to me i've said this before i think that our next head coach is already in the building and i think it's sean desai i've said that a million times already um, because you can just see, feel from Pete the level of respect that he is giving both Hurt and Asai to to really run this defense. It's interesting to me that Adams, that Jamal Adams gets so much hate from this fan group um, because I have always felt bad for him. Yes, he's been injured, but also because he's not used where he's best. He's he hasn't been able to because he's had to, to be quite honest, babysit some of the other positions back there that maybe weren't as strong. Um, not Quandary Diggs. I will say that because I love Quandary Diggs. But um, I think that Dan is absolutely right that there he's going to actually be able to be used to his strengths this year. And I think that that is going to make a huge impact. Plus, I really like Jones and Burns in the back on the corners. I, I like the way that they play. I think that 
you know, this team fans got pretty spoiled with the LOB. And I think part of Pete's arrogance was it ran perfect the way we always did it with those guys. So let's try and recreate that now, knowing that that's impossible when you have a historic level defense, you can never recreate that. So um, I think that that back end is going to feel and look different. Um, and I think that that's going to be really fun to watch when it comes down to the pass rush. I do like the pass rush. Um, like I said before, I still have some concerns about linebacker. And I think that we talked about that, but I just feel like this is not going to feel like Seattle defense. It's not going to be what we've seen forever. I think we're going to see some mixing. I think we're going to see um, a little more trust there. And I was worried when they got rid of Bobby Wagner, I was worried. I'm like, okay, who's going to take up this mantle and be the leader of this group? And I think we've seen multiple players step up. And and DK even talked about that, how he thought that he could see these leaders emerging now that they needed them because their two main leaders were gone. And I, I think that that's going to be really fun to watch. But what I'm really excited about with this defense is I feel, to go back to what you said, Bill, I think we're going to see some more turnovers. I'm still waiting for my Quandre Diggs pick six, which I ranted on all last year. I almost got it last year. He almost made it to the end zone. But I think do you we're mean gonna... do you mean uh, the more aggression? I I do in scheme, not being so set all the time. I do, but I think that they are going to let these guys become the ball hawks that they want without being so timid. The defense almost felt timid sometimes oh my last goodness, year. Yes, yeah, and so I really feel like they're going to be like go swarm, do what you got to do, um, and it might take a few games even maybe half a season to work it out we have to give them some time this is all brand new but i think it's going to feel a lot more fun and exciting for the fans and probably a lot more productive do you have a the do you have a most underrated addition to this defense this year like rookie or just overall well like maybe like a quentin jefferson is he going to be the difference is he going to create enough pressure you know from his spot or is it miles adams making the team and um you know or josh jones emerging i would put in a vote for Artie burns i mean if he's healthy i think he's the starter at right corner and and he was over tariq woolen i think so i I think he was a guy that when he was signed was People thought it was kind of an afterthought, former first round That's pick. That's very true. He's flamed yeah. out at two locations and and people might have thought he was older than he was. And why has he failed? And he came in from day one of training camp and looked like one of the two best corners on this mm-hmm. roster. And then he got nicked up. Uh, I think that's a guy he has experience playing for Sean Desai last year in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and he just looked like the guy from day one. And so if he's ready to roll, I think he he could be a guy that holds that spot down. And they'll find opportunities for Woolen. Um but I don't think Woolen plays ahead of him if Burns is healthy. And and to your point, I you know as much as we were spoiled by the Legion of Boom, we were also damaged by watching guys like Kerry Williams and and uh, Trey Flowers. And and some of this wasn't their fault. Played a lot of soft coverage in those days. These guys that are on the roster too, we've seen it from all of them. They're just stickier, mm-hmm. right? It's a good word. Mm-hmm. They are around the ball more. And so they're more willing to make plays. I think they have better ball skills. They have better ball awareness. I think one of the surprises at camp is that Kobe Bryant might be a slot corner. And, and part of that might not be because they don't think he could play on the outside, but because they got guys at those spots that are going to yes. hold it down. Right. And right. so I don't think they thought of Kobe Bryant as a slot corner when they took him. They wanted him on the outside and he could still play there. But then we have a guy like Trey Brown. Who might be able to be available anytime, yeah. you know, after week four, 
uh, to come in and um, if, if there's an injury, a guy goes down, nicked up, uh, here's a guy that's proven that he can be effective mm-hmm. and be sticky, as you yeah. said, um, that, that isn't even part of this equation yet. Yeah. And when you look at the teams in our division and you just look at what's happening in the NFL now, and maybe this speaks to what, you know, our concerns about middle linebacker is, or inside linebacker, is they might just be in nickel a lot. You know, and only one of those guys, Barton and, and Brooks, might not be on the field at the same time very often. Um, and we could see a lot of three and four corner sets and three safeties like we talked about earlier. Yeah, and there you, there you go with the importance of Jamal Adams yeah. mm-hmm. and, and Ryan Neal in, in this kind of a thing as well. Jones is, as well. Josh Jones is, what, uh, 6'1", 220. God, yeah. Um, yeah, so you're right. I mean, we could replace some of that physicality with mm-hmm. with speed. Um, yeah. and, and that would be, that would be something else. Cause this team has lacked <laughs> team speed for a while as well. I mean, when was the last time we were able to talk about a cornerback group like that and go two, three deep, you know, when guys like Nico Thorpe have been your primary backup at times, you know, a couple of years ago at that spot, like that's, that's, that wasn't a good group. There were, there were such, there were two or three position groups during those years between the Super Bowl and when we traded Russ last year that just had glaring weaknesses as your primary backup. There were just holes there. We look at the whole roster now, and there's layers now of depth and young upside at every single position on the roster, except Corey. I want to I want to say one thing though, and and I think that this is really important. I want yes, obviously in this podcast we are excited and and we're we're looking forward to the future, and I just want to remind people that this might take a little time. This this, this is not something you're going to see perfection out of in the first game, right? Well, I don't know. They'll be pretty jacked for that first game. Maybe the second game. I don't know. I still, I think they're going to win the first game. But so I think that um, we have. So to you want to temper expectations a little bit. Yeah. I mean, not expectations. I want to lengthen them. You, you can have great expectations for this group, but you need to give them probably eight games to really start to focus. We have to remember there's a lot of rookies. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of people and moving parts that have to really start to gel together. And that takes a minute. Um, but as long as they are starting to gel together, that's exciting because then just think how good they'll be next year. I agree with that. My only caveat to that is Clint, Clint Hurt and Sean Desai. I mean, we had Ken Norton Jr. the last couple of years. It took us a half a year to figure out even assignments and like playing players out of position (laughs) and not putting players in a position to be successful was just the theme and until the back half of the season where it started to change i don't don't know but now with the new coaching regime on the defensive side my expectations are slightly higher it's a better coaching staff these guys know what they're doing they're demanding more out of their players um we have better players we have better talent now some of that is young and i think that's i think Mm -hmm. more or less what you're speaking to as far as getting these young guys a chance to come together. Nuasu's going to play a key role. He's a free agent coming in, uh, not familiar with, you know, the, with the program here. Quentin Jefferson needs to integrate, um, you know, Cody Barton's first opportunity to really start and have significant um, minutes. Josh Jones is going to play a significant role. You've got rookie corners that are going to come in and have a significant opportunity. Um, so it is going to take a little bit of time, but my expectations are pretty high. I, I have to admit, I, I don't know how to temper them because I'm looking at it and understanding what they want to do with it. And it's just right there, Just right. Uh, there. but it does need to happen on the field. It needs to translate for sure. 
Yeah, and we haven't even talked about we haven't even mentioned Daryl Taylor's name. And he and he might he if there's a candidate for breakout player of the year this year, he's a guy that could be on the national scene by the end of the year. He I could easily see him getting 15, 16 sacks this year and oh, yeah. establishing himself as one of the premier young edge rushers in this league. And I Okay, think- so let me stop you. What gets him to fifteen? What else needs to happen around him for him to have that opportunity? He can't Oops. just do that by himself sure. in the back. The scheme needs to work as a whole, and that defensive line has to do their part. And 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 I think the pieces are there. I think they they got the veteran guys. They got guys like Al Woods and and Harris in the middle, and Brian Monet who can eat up space, and and uh, a guy like Quentin Jefferson who you, you've mentioned multiple times. That his versatility is is those guys need to do their job so that to free him up. And there and then there needs to be a threat from the other edge too. We need to see some effectiveness out of Nuosu and, and Mafe so that teams can't focus as much on Daryl Taylor. If they can get to that point where they can move Taylor around, try to get him as many one-on-ones, there aren't a lot of tackles in this league that can hold that kid when he's coming off the edge with his hair on fire. He's when you think back to his rookie year and how some so many of us thought we might never see him play a football game for us. And oh my goodness, is that another Malik McDowell pick in the sense that we just wasted a high draft pick on a young edge rusher because the guy's never going to be able to play with a rod in his leg? And now look at him. Uh, I just I can't wait to see what he has in store. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. I we could sit and talk for another literally. hour, literally another hour, um, which yeah, is which is outstanding. <laughs> well, we'll have to come back and do this again for sure. I'd love to have you guys on. I appreciate you, Dana. Why don't you take a minute to let everybody know what you're doing? It sounds like you're doing a lot, but let them know where they can it's find you. Yeah. <laughs> it won't take two minutes. I'll be fast. Okay. So obviously um, you can find me on our turf football. I mean, that's kind of my main um, staple. And we do our podcast every Tuesday night, 8 PM Eastern time. We do that live over on YouTube so that we can interact with our chat. We have a great time over there. Um, and then of course I am a regular on real Hawk talk with that very opinionated group. <laughs> And then, um, and now you're going to find me once a week on Field Goals, um, doing a little half hour podcast for them. So that is very exciting. And of course, you can always find me on Twitter. It's at Dana OG. So. Thanks, Dana. Dan, yeah. tell me, uh, tell me what's up at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Please follow me there. It's my favorite platform to debate football with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we'll be doing the Field Goals podcast at least twice a week, uh, early in the week, late in the week during the season. Um, I'll be recapping each of the games uh, and just really taking advantage of that that host of writers at Field Goals, having those guys on, having Dana on with me, welcoming Brandon back from time to time, and and uh, some other guys that I've had on the old show as well will be joining me. And uh, I haven't completely retired the Emerald City Sportscast. Um, I will most likely be firing the old show up a couple of times over the next few months. But I'll just be talking Mariners baseball because anything I have to say Seahawks related now, I'll be doing on field goals and using that platform. So, um, yeah, follow me on Twitter and then you'll you'll know where to find me. Exciting. I like it. You guys are staying busy. That's for sure. Let enjoy talking Seahawks football with both of you. Uh, Look forward to the next time we can all get together and and, uh, talk. Keith, if you're listening. Uh, we missed you, but we didn't miss you very much because these guys definitely filled your shoes. Oh, uh, sorry, I had to rub that in. Uh, we love you, Keith. We love you, man. So find uh, Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. You can find me at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. And if you like it, share it. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.
Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.